wonderful this morning. I pray that you had plenty of turkey to eat and everything else that goes along with that wonderful meal. Did you have a good time this week? Yeah. Yeah, I was in Alabama of all places, uh, enjoying time with family and friends and folks that drove in to, to see other folks, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Can you believe it's December the 1st? And as a result of that, I'm going to begin a Christmas series of messages today. That's hard for me to even say, because it doesn't quite yet feel like Christmas. Now it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? I mean, isn't this beautiful up here? And you all look good. So are you in a Christmas mood yet? Okay, if you're not, you're going to get there. Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read a story. It's one that, that we've read and heard hundreds of times. But the beauty of Christmas is found in this profound message. It's, it's so simple, but it's so profound. I've always felt that the best way to preach Christmas messages is to take the obvious and then to put truths, to pull out those truths for our daily living in it. I pray that this December will be different than any other December that you've had before. Here's my prayer for, for First Bradenton, that during the month of December, we will not only see an increase of people coming, but we'll see an increase of people coming to Christ, following him in believer's baptism, being a part of this local Bible-believing church. And so let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter two, very familiar passage. Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You may be seated. Well, we can blame it on the wise men. The wise men started it all. When I, when I talk about starting it all, I'm talking about gifts. Gifts. 
giving gifts and receiving gifts. How many of you like to receive gifts? Yeah, and the rest of you are liars. You all like to receive gifts. We do, don't we? We love gifts, and, and we, we love to give gifts. It, it's a part of who we are. But, but I would like you to note a couple of things about this simple story in, in just a way of introduction. I guess I am impressed by the fact, first of all, that their gift was personally given. These were wealthy people. They'd come from a far country. In fact, they were really from Iraq, and they, they could have sent the gift. I guess I'm impressed by the fact that they, they really were on a mission, and they personally wanted to bring these gifts to the Christ child. And when you read this story, that personal part just kind of pops out at you. Look at verse 2. We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Look at verse 9. They went their way. Verse 10, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Verse 11, they came into the house, and opening up their treasures, they fell down and worshiped him. They gave gifts, opening their treasures. They presented to him gifts. It was personally given, personally given. But the second thing I notice is that it was properly given. When I, when I say it was properly given, more than just gold, more than frankincense, more than myrrh, it was a gift with worship and adoration and glory and honor and praise to Jesus. Now, there are three kinds of gifts that we typically give at Christmas time. And I want you to note this. Three kinds of gifts. Something's going on here. And I don't know if it's me or if it's, uh, you think it's me, Doug? I, I tell you what, rather than do that the whole time I'm preaching, I'm going to find a microphone. Yeah. I want to talk to you about three gifts, okay? Three gifts. Number one, you ready? Write this down. Thank you, sir. We can turn this thing off. There we go. Now, if that starts squirming, then we're in trouble. First gift, you ready? Is that better? Don't hold it on the bottom. Wow, I need instructions before I do this. First gift, the gift for a gift gift. Yeah, the gift for a gift gift. I got a response, didn't I? You know what those are. Every one of us has done this before. Someone stops by your home or stops by your desk at work or stops by your locker at school and they give you a gift. And you go, all right, I'm going to lie about this. I have a gift out in my car for you. Or I have a gift at home underneath the tree. Or I have a gift for you. It's in another location. And because they gave you a gift, you give a gift for a gift gift. Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, and, and then what's so odd about a gift for a gift gift is that you begin to try to figure out how much they spent on you so you don't become a tightwad and spend less on them. So you check all the stores and then you get disappointed because they bought it on sale. A gift for a gift gift. Now, the person that, that does this keeps a long mental picture of what value this gift has been and, 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 and a lot of times what happens is we begin to compare. Well, I got her something or I got him something that was very, very nice, and they didn't return the favor. A gift for a gift gift. And then there's a gift for a favor gift. 
We all do this. We, I mean, employees do this all the time. They buy their boss something, hoping and praying and really counting on that come January, they're going to get a raise because they gave a Christmas gift to their boss. If there are any agape employees in here, that will help. <laughs> Just thought I'd try it. You know, a, a gift, when, when we purchase gifts for a favor, em, uh, employers do this too. Like they'll give you a Christmas bonus. And I, and I want to tell you something. This is the wrong way to do this. It's an IOU out there. Okay, I need you to work harder. I need you to, and I understand there's some incentive there. But, but oftentimes we buy gifts expecting favors in return. Kids do it. Parents do it, kids. We all do it. A lot of times we expect a gift back or we expect some sort of action. But then here's the gift that I want us to concentrate on. It's the gift that the wise men teach me in this passage. It's what I call a grace gift. Now, the grace gift, the best way I can describe this is that you don't have to write this one down. You don't even have to remember it. You don't, you don't have to do it. The best way I can describe a grace gift is it's, it's, it's unrepayable. You can't pay back a grace gift. Now, take that term, obviously, from God through his son, Jesus Christ, who loves us so much that he gives us eternal life, which is a gift of God. It's a grace gift. We don't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We'll never, ever be able to repay it. And so when we think of God, we think of grace, and we say, there's no way I could ever repay what God has done through the person and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as God's children, we can give a gift that, that just can't be paid back. When, when, when I think of a grace gift, I think of a couple of things. And the wise men teach me this. It's impossible to measure the cost of the gift. Think about it. The whole thing, I don't know what we've done with Christmas, but we need to turn this thing around. We need to quit running to the mall or to the department store or online or however you shop. We need to begin to pass some grace gifts along that will actually have lasting capability. Let me tell you something else about these grace gifts. They're usually non-material. I don't know about you all, but, but I know in the spirit household, we got a lot of stuff. We have got a lot of stuff. My wife, if she were here this morning, she would tell you that we need a closet for Alan's clothes. When, when we got married 13 years ago, she said, my goodness. She said, I, I, I've never seen this many. At that time, I had a lot of suits because back in the day, I wore a lot of suits in the pastorate and a lot of sport coats. And, and she started counting suits. And I said, don't count suits. That's not fair. And she said, well, it is because I've got to find someplace to put these things. And, and so I got rid of a lot of suits. I got rid of a lot of stuff. We have, a, we have, a, we have a, a rule in our house, or she has a rule, and I abide by it, that if you haven't worn it in six weeks, you take it to Goodwill. Wow. That's tough. I'm sometimes sleeping in my clothes so I can keep them. <laughs> 
just joking. So it's impossible to measure the cost of this gift, but it's non-material. They're usually non-material. What, what does that mean? That means they're togetherness gifts. I got a gift this week with, with grandchildren and with, with, with sons and with, with, with daughter-in-law and with, with family, extended family that, that, that was a wonderful, wonderful gift. I, I got to sit and listen and, and hear and, and, and be blessed by being with them. Togetherness gifts. Folks, do you understand that most of the time, husbands, let me just give you a good word here. Most of the time, your wife does not want that diamond ring. Now, some of you are going, please don't say that. I want that diamond ring. You know what she would care about more? If you would take the day off and spend it with her. If you would take her to the beach or to the park and plan a picnic. I'm not talking about something super extravagant or expensive. I'm talking about a togetherness gift. Sometimes it's not only through maybe being together, but sometimes it is a service gift. It's doing something for somebody. Jack Yates was a... A guy in a, in a church where I pastored, his wife's name is Diana. Jack's in heaven now, but, but Jack was one of those kind of guys. He was a, he was a, a little bit, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't very tall at all. He was a round kind of guy. But Jack knew how to fix everything. And if he didn't, he could still fix it. He'd still figure it out. And Jack carried tools in his truck. Unlike I do, I don't carry anything in my truck other than, you know, stuff that I need. But, but the kids know, don't buy me tools for Christmas. I mean, you give me a hammer, I can tear it up. You give me a screwdriver or a pair of pliers, I can tear things up with those tools. But Jack knew how to use tools. And so Jack had come to Christ and, and, and he had, I baptized him and we had, we had begun to disciple Jack. And, and, and Jack came one day to my office and he said, Pastor, do you have anything at your house that needs to be fixed? Well, I had a list. And I said, Jack, I, I really do. Have, he, I, he said, let me look at that list. And I show, he said, I'll be over. Well, Jack would every once in a while come over to our house and Jennifer would go, oh, thank God Jack's here. <laughs> she, she would go, Alan, that man can fix anything. He would, he would fix everything in my house. And he, he would come in, and, and he, I said, Jack, I need to pay you. He said, no, Pastor, you're my pastor. I, I, I'm just going to love you. This is what I can give. Jack didn't know it, but he was giving grace gifts. He loved me. He would, he would fix the faucets. He would fix the, the, those crazy closet doors that would always come off the hinge that every time I would touch them, I would break them and have to buy a new one. He could fix them. He was a grace gift giver. And every time he would come to our house, and literally, I mean every time, he had learned, and I guess maybe this is something that I had taught him or others who had discipled had taught him, he learned how to pray and say, Lord, thank you for the gifts and abilities you give me to bless my pastor. And he always blessed us. We had a a flood at our house one year. We got 10 and a half inches of rain. It was a relatively new house. And when they built the house, they didn't finish one of the corners like they should have. And as a result, 
our whole downstairs level had seven inches of water in it. We had hardwood floors and laminate. We had carpet. My wife was away speaking at the time. I was supposed to be at an FCA banquet that night, and I had seven and a half inches of water in my house. Who'd I call? Jack. Jack got there, and we began to get water out of that house, but he looked at me. He said, Pastor, the more water we take out of here, the more water we're getting in here. I said, Jack, I need you to give me some good news. He said, I'm trying, Pastor. But he said, we got a problem, and certainly we did. Jack was right there with me through that whole $35,000 debacle. But because of Jack and because of his giftedness and because of his heart, he gave grace gifts. Now, that's the introduction this morning. Let's get in the message, okay? Here we go. I'm going to give you five things this morning that I want you to concentrate on over the next several weeks as we go through these Christmas messages. And here's the first one. Here's the first one about giving. Give an unexpected gift to someone this year. The wise men teach me to give an unexpected gift to someone. No one's going to expect a wise man to give this gift. They're not Jews. They're not, they're, they're, they have nothing in this. All they have done is heard about. They've, they've been studying the skies. You talk about a surprise. When the wise men came to Jesus, I mean, you, you, would, you would expect that, that when they stopped at Herod's house, man, they would, they would do exactly what, no, totally unexpected. The visit of the wise men. Nobody would have ever said that these three magi would come and work their way literally weeks and months to the place where Jesus was born to bring. Man, no one expected that. And I'm here to tell you the best gifts are the unexpected gifts. There's been somebody that's done something for you in your life, and maybe it's been way back there. When I was in high school, and that's been a long time ago, I was an athlete. I loved to play every kind of sport. My favorite sport to play was football, but I loved to play baseball. I loved to play basketball. I was in track and field. I played everything except soccer, and in my days, soccer was not the sport for a man. Okay, I understand it is now. Man, these soccer players are amazing athletes, but soccer was not very popular in southern Illinois. But one thing that was popular for me was, man, I love to play football. And I, I, everything I did was, was looking to play football, to play collegiate football. My coach, my sophomore year, after starting on the, on the varsity my freshman year and, and playing very well and making all-conference and all-state my sophomore year, my, my coach came to me and he said, at the end of the season, Alan, you're not going to be playing for us next year. I said, why? He said, because you're not making the grade. I said, what do you mean not making the grade? I, I led the team in tackle. He said, I'm not talking about football, son. He said, I'm talking about your academics. You're a D student at best. He said, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you with Miss Billy Reed. Miss Billy Reed was exactly what I just said. She, she had never been married. She was a 
uh, a school teacher. She was, I thought she was relatively old because she was close to 60 at that time. And he said, every morning at 7 o'clock, you're going to be in her classroom. And she's going to tutor you until you can learn to diagram a sentence, until you can learn an adverb from an adjective. She's going to help you with your math skills and your science skills. And for almost two years, that lady worked with me. Now, let me tell you something. It wasn't because I could play football. It was because Miss Billy Reed gave me something. She taught me how to study, and she taught me that there was more to life than just sports. She gave me a willingness, and she gave me a desire to learn. And I wasn't a D student. I was a good student. I just had never learned to read. I'd never learned to really enunciate or, or to understand how to diagram a sentence. I'd learned a little bit in mathematics, but the truth was as a sophomore in high school, I was reading at about a seventh grade level. And it wasn't because I wasn't intelligent enough. It was because I didn't care. It was because I'd never been challenged. She challenged me. It was years later that I wrote her this letter that just said, simply misread. Thank you. Thank you for giving to me something that I would have never had because you cared enough to put two years of your life into that kid named Alan Spear. Give an unexpected gift to someone. Secondly, I learned from the wise men is that they gave with genuine joy. I, I'm telling you, I, I don't ever want to be bah humbug. I don't want to give gifts and go... Hmm. I want to give gifts that are, are out of the joy of my heart. And when they gave this gift, do you see it with such joy? I mean, they rejoiced when they saw the star. They rejoiced when they saw Mary. That gift was burning, ladies and gentlemen. They could hardly wait to give to the source to which they were presenting this gift to. Giving with a glad and generous heart has a way of rooting out that tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us. This past week, we were staying at my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's home, and, and our granddaughter, Piper Jane, and our grandson, Judah, were there, and, and, and they were staying at another house, but during the day, they would take naps up in Jennifer and I's room. It was upstairs, and there were little little beds on the floor, and Piper Jane is two, two and a half years old, but oh my goodness, she's a, she's a little character. Well, I had put her down for a nap, and thinking that she was down for a nap, well, she got up, at, she calls me her papa. She got up at her papa's table, and there was my wallet. Okay? So, I had put her down, I thought, for her nap. When I heard her kind of rousing around, I went up to check on her. She had every credit card I have in my wallet strung all over that bed. And there, were about, there was about $80 in my money clip. She had every dollar out. And she had all my change. She said, I got Papa's money. I mean, she had it all over her bed. I, I said, Jennifer, come up and look at this kid. And she just smiling. She had my wedding ring. I'd left it. She had her, my ring on. She wouldn't take it off. She had everything. And she said, Papa, 
are you going to give me this? Well, I can't give you the ring, kid. But yeah, I'll give you the rest. No, no. She was so funny. There is something within us when we give that destroys that demon greed. There is something within us that when we give, we begin to understand that God's giving is so much bigger than ours. Thirdly, by the way, they gave with genuine joy. They, their gift was personal. It was something that they gave because it was personal to them. Fourthly, I will encourage you to give a gift that will last. Don't give something, you know, that just has this temporary value. The gift that they gave that year, the story's been told for 2,000 years. People still know the gift that these wise men gave. Give a gift that will last. The gift, what is it that will last? Gift of good memories. I, you know, I'm telling you, at this stage in life, with our kids grown and now grandkids are here, uh, there's, there's nothing like pictures and, and memories and all of those things. Make sure that you do some things that create memories. Uh, spend time making memories with people that you love. That's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, I have never stood by the deathbed of any individual saying, man, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. You know what usually they say? Wow, I wish I'd have spent more time with my kids. I, I wish I'd have spent more time with my wife, with my husband. There's another gift that will last, and that's a godly heritage. It will bless for generations. That's what the Bible teaches us. I want to have a godly heritage, not only for my kids, but for my grandkids and my great-grandkids. That's a gift that will last. Let me say one more thing to you this morning. And this is probably the most important thing I could say. From what I learned from the wise men is give the gift now not later. They were going to be all they wanted to be tomorrow. None would be braver or kinder than they tomorrow. A friend was troubled and wearied they knew would be glad for a lift and, and he did need it. And on him they would call and see that they could do this tomorrow. Each morning they stacked up the letters they would write tomorrow. And they thought of the folks that they would fill with delight tomorrow. And the greatest of people they might just have been, the world would have opened its heart to them. In fact, they passed on and faded from view and all that they left when their living was through was a mountain of things that they intended to do tomorrow. My father taught me some incredible things, but one of the most important things he taught me was to keep short accounts. What I mean by short accounts is 
he was telling me, don't be one of these kind of people that someday you're going to do something and someday you're going to love somebody and someday you're going to give something to someone and someday you're going to help someone. My dad taught me right now, reach out, love, care, give. And that's what these wise men teach us, ladies and gentlemen. They weren't, they weren't about to go back home until they gave their gifts to Jesus. They pressed through the opposition. They pressed through the time. I'm sure they were discouraged. I'm sure that people said to them, turn back. This is the silliest thing you've ever thought about doing. You're never going to find him. No, we are going to give this now. Listen, the saddest thing in life I've ever seen happen, and I've seen it happen a lot. I've seen it happen at funerals. I've seen it happen at wakes and memorial services. I've seen people stand at the edge of a casket and say to that person who is no longer there, just the, the shell, just the remains, oh, I wish I would have done this. Oh, I, I wish I would have done that. I've seen fathers literally lift their sons up and say, why didn't I, why didn't I? And, and, and that always breaks my heart because they could have. You see, I love you. I want you to know that. I want you to know that not in word, not just in word, but in deed. I love this church. I love you. And I want you to know that. I want to show you that. I want to, in the time that God has for me here, I want you to look back and say, man, I love that guy. What was his name? <laughs> no. I believe with all of my heart, we need to get this thing called Christmas turned around. Students, you need to say to your parents, you, you need to love them. You need to share with them, Mom, Dad, I love you. I don't always agree with you. They know that, by the way. But they're still your mom and dad. But love them, parents. Don't miss the opportunity. You know, when they're little, man, they're so cute. Like, like Piper Jane right now, she's two and a half. And her world is just amazing to her. And, and, and she's got Papa wrapped around her finger. But I want her to know growing up that no matter what comes, no matter what the situation, her Papa loves her. And I pray for her on a daily basis. I, I've begun to pray for her mate someday. Now, she's got to be 33 before she starts dating. <laughs> but I pray. I pray for her. I pray for all of them. I pray that God would, would place great people in their lives. I don't want them to ever doubt. Listen, very, very carefully. The best gifts... Forget that expensive gift. The best gifts are memories. Don't wait until your kids are grown. Don't wait. Go home and make some memories. Forget work a day. And, and make sure and call in. Make sure and do that. But, but take them on a, a short trip. Several years ago, I left the office at the church and and I had a stack of stuff to do. I had people to visit. I had folks to, to see. But I, my son, Robbie, our oldest son, he wanted to shoot a bow and arrow. 
well, I, I can shoot a bow and arrow, a compound bow, but we had gotten a long bow. And I figured, hey, I, if I can shoot a compound bow, I can shoot a long bow. That's not very smart. We got that bow, and we, we set up a hay bale out in the back of the parsonage. We were living in a parsonage. It's a small town in southern Illinois, and, and we set it up, and we set a target up. And, I mean, I, I showed Robbie how to do this. Well, he, he was maybe all of 11, 12. He pulled back with all his might, and that arrow went flying, and, it, I mean, it missed the hay bales over the road and into the neighbor's top of his garage. I mean, this arrow is sticking right out of the top of our neighbor's garage. I said, try it again, bud. Try it again. This one went all He was consistently bad, but he was consistent. Same place. I had to get a ladder, go over and say, neighbor, I'm sorry, but we've got two arrows, and I'll fix your roof, I promise. And, and you know, we finally figured that thing out, and, man, we spent some time together. Do you know, do you know what my son still talks about? There are two things. One is that day that took all of an hour, hour and a half. And the other thing is I took him to the Promise Keepers gathering in Washington, D.C. when he was 10 years old. He's now 32. And if you ask him, what was your favorite thing you ever did with your father? He'll tell you those two events. Now, we did a lot of other stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Neither one of those events cost a lot of money. They just take time. I want you right now, I want you to think about those within your, your realm. I want you to think about them right now. I want you to think, when's the last time you told them that you loved them? When's the last time that you shared with them the greatest gift of all, that being Christ Jesus? When's the last time you talked to that friend of yours about their soul, about their lostness, and that Christ loves them? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning.